One big mistake most of us make in our spiritual life as Catholics is to think that temptation is sin. No, temptation is temptation. It's what we do with it that becomes the sin. But temptations are not sins in themselves. And the perfect example of that is in today's gospel. Here our Lord, without sin, is profoundly tempted. Profoundly tempted. In fact, these are the same essential temptations Satan played on the old Adam that we read about in the book of Genesis today. This great prince of lies is always trying to manipulate our consciences to say, look, it's not all bad. In fact, like the expression, it's all good. No, it's not. So you didn't read the other side of the t-shirt. It should say, no, it's not all good. No, it's not all good. And that's the play. Because what Satan is saying to Adam and Eve in that book of Genesis, our first parents, is, look, you can know this. Don't you want to know all of this? Don't you want to have divine knowledge? So eat of the fruit of God in knowledge and you will know everything. And knowledge is power. Even a little bit of knowledge is tremendous power. Just read the style section this morning, right? With a little bit of power, you can bring somebody who's very big down. You can destroy people with just some knowledge. But think about all the knowledge to be omniscience, omniscient, to know everything. Wow, you can be your own God. You can control anything. You can do anything. You can be everything. Don't you want that? And this is the same temptation, the series of temptations that Jesus will play on, that Satan will play on Jesus in the New Testament. Certainly, if you are the Son of God, you can command these stones to become bread. You can do anything, Jesus. Now, he could have done that. I probably, if I had the power to do that, I would have said, yeah, I'll prove it. I can do that. In fact, I'm hungry. There are a lot of stones out here. Let's have some bread. There's a lot of water around here. Let's make some wine. Let's have a party. He doesn't do that, does he? No. He says, get away from me. And notice how he does it. He wants to refer everything back to his father. One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Not my power, his power. 
And then if you're the son of God, don't you want to live forever? You're, you're immortal. You can throw yourself down from this steeple, the highest part of the temple in Jerusalem, hundreds of feet. Nothing's going to happen to you. Aren't you God? You can do anything. Now, he says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And then the great one. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to promise you everything. I'm going to give you all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence if you what? Worship me. Worship me and you can have everything. You can be everything. You can do anything. You can be your own God. But you have to worship me. That means there's two gods. And that's no God at all. That's why Satan is a great liar. He's always manipulating the situation and confusing us because it's not all good. In fact, a lot of times it's not all that good at all. So to discern that carefully. And we go into the desert with Jesus because there we're following his pattern of self-denial. Why deny the good things in the world? They're so good. My husband, my wife, my children, my pets, my home, my money, my prestige, my position, my title. Nature itself is so beautiful. All these things are God's gifts. Why are we denying them? What's the point? Woe is me. No, not a sick kind of spirituality. No, a very sober one that says, wait a minute. If I don't take time out to put these persons, places, and things into proper perspective, then they start controlling me. I put way too much expectation on them to satisfy me, to make me happy. And they don't. I know you love your husbands and wives, but they are not God's. I know you love your children. They're not gods. When I was growing up, certainly I was the saint in the family. My brother and sister are here. They can testify to that. They were the sinners, right? I was perfect. I was God. I learned I'm not. And nature the beauty of this nature that God gives us all around this universe. That's not God either. Even Big Bang could never be God. Energy cannot be God. The stuff of life, all the beautiful places and persons and things. Mm. One alone is the Lord your God. One alone is the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. So Lent gives us a tremendous sobering perspective. It's an invitation to say, wait a minute. 
what is most important in my life? Exactly who is most important here? Not to disparage all the other goods, but to put them into perspective and say, wait a minute. There is one good that is always good, perfectly good, everlasting good, the Lord our God. Which is why Jesus goes into the desert at this critical moment now, at the end of his public ministry, age 33, because he knows he's on this Titanic, it's going down, going down fast, because he's about to go to Jerusalem shortly. At the end of these 40 days, we go into Holy Week with him for that great event, among others. But this is the one he's got to focus on. Because the greatest temptation will be come down from that cross, run away. You don't need to deal with that. Again, you are the Son of God. You can do anything. If you are the Messiah, they'll say. Echoing the same temptations to be anything, to do anything, to have everything. And he won't do that. So he goes into the desert to remember who he is, as we said so often, by recalling fundamentally, essentially, whose he is. He does not belong, with all respect, to his mother. He doesn't belong to Joseph, his foster father. He doesn't belong to Joachim and Anne, his godparents and grandparents. Doesn't belong to Peter, James, or John, his best friends. He doesn't belong to anyone, any place, or anything. The story of Jesus of Nazareth is all about his incredible desire to return to the Father, to be one with Abi in Aramaic, his dad. Abba, father. Abi, daddy, his father. That intimate, close relationship with him. Why? Because there Jesus finds his True power. Not the power of this stuff that Satan loves to play on. The powers of the world. The politics of stuff. No. The substantial power of God. And not false gods, but the true God. So Jesus knows who he is and he will remember this over and over, and it will give him tremendous strength to do that. To be pinned to two pieces of wood. Because everyone else says, you don't have to do that. And he says, no, I have to do the will of my Father. This is why I've come into the world. This is why I was born. This is why I have preached and taught. And the miracles and everything else is for that moment of my suffering and death. For you. So that I, I can accomplish the great act of reversing what the old Adam and Eve messed up. And messed up for all of humankind. And I will correct that. And bring you back through the waters of baptism by power of the Holy Spirit and make you adopted children of God. Now that's power. 
That's real power. That's what we want. In fact, that's what we need. More importantly, the power of God. That's why we come to church. We pray for these gifts of the Holy Spirit because these are the powers. They're always at war with Satan and the world. And we get confused, I know. And we get tempted. But temptation is not a sin. It's not a sin. And our Lord is showing us that he can be tempted without sin. And when we do sin, then we come back to him with all our heart. And this is the other great mistake we make in our spiritual life as Catholics. We tend to attend to the sin. We have this guilt, this shame, this fear of God. And so many people don't come to church because they're afraid of God. Or they're in denial of his grace, his love, his compassion, his mercy. They just don't want to change either. They're lazy. They're proud. And we love them. And that's what keeps us in business. Right? If everybody were a saint, there'd be no job for us. But we're all sinners. And that's the good news, ironically. That God now comes to us and says, sinner, come home. So don't attend to the shame and guilt. No, the antidote to that is attend to the grace. The grace. The gift of God. The power of God to transform your life. To change it, if you want. If you want. Over time. Because he can do just about everything. And wants to do everything for our salvation. And gives us these beautiful gifts of the sacraments and his word and the church and our prayer and our spiritual lives of charity and almsgiving and penance. All those things are but means to the end. Your family, your pets, your money, your jobs, nature itself are all means to salvation. Use them. Use them wisely. Not as ends in themselves, but as means. Because God placed them there for you to worship him, not them. And this is always going to be the test. In every generation from caveman to the present, these temptations just flow in and out of time. In every level of life. And to be on guard about it with his grace... Not to be paranoid, but to be prudent and to say, okay, yeah, I'm weak. I sin. But attend to the grace, not the shame. Adam and Eve attended to the shame and they fled in fear and tried to hide themselves. People are always trying to hide themselves. Even as kids, we learned to hide because we didn't want mom and dad to find us. We lived in fear, in shame, in guilt. And now we're just big babies and we still have all that shame and guilt that we've been carrying for 20, 30, 60, 80 years. Doesn't that get tiring, friends? Doesn't that get old? So he says, come to me. I'm with you in the desert. Don't be afraid. 
I will support you. I will hold you. I will forgive you. Come back to me and remember who you are, child of God. You'll know who you are when you remember whose you are.